All right. Well, again, good morning, everyone. I hope you're enjoying this beautiful weather. Um, the fall is my favorite time in Korea. Just nice, clear air and nice temperature, right? So I hope you guys get a chance to go outside. Um, last week, we took a, a bit of a break from going verse by verse through John. If you're new, uh, we're going through the, the Gospel of John. And we've been doing that for a, a long time. It's a long book. So uh, last week we took a bit of a break and we focused on Jesus' seven I am statements, but we only got through four of them. So we're going to continue that this week. We're going to look at the final three. And we're not going through order. We're just kind of jumping around um, by theme. But we looked at the, the bread of life. Jesus says that he is the bread of life. And let me get that up there. And we saw that what he means when he says this, we have to look at the whole context of what he's saying. We saw that he, he spells it out right away, actually. He says, whoever, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus is not only our creator, our, our foundation and salvation, he is our sustainer. He is the one that gives us life and continues to give us life. We can depend on him to be our source of life even more than we do physical food. And something to note again is that these are a little bit out of order. Um, we're just kind of taking them by theme. We're connecting them together. And so that's what we're doing this morning. Um, let, let me look at the next one. I am the true vine. We also looked at this last week. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, He's saying that he is also a life giver. All of these have to do with life. As a vine gives life to its branches, Jesus is the life giver. But as his followers, we must abide in him, he teaches. First, by accepting him as Savior and Lord, and by obeying him, actively seeking to do his will, and remaining in him or persevering in our faith in him. We continually go to him, when we continually go to him, we abide in him, our source of life. Jesus also declares that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Again, he's our source of life, and he is the truth. He told his disciples, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And his disciples, as his disciples abide in him, he will, sorry, they will know him. They will know the truth, and the truth will set them free. And they will know the way to the Father because they know Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Um, we also looked at Jesus saying, I am the, the resurrection and the life. And, and the context of this is right before Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And he's comforting Lazarus' sister, Martha. He says to her, your brother will rise again. And then Martha says to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus responds by saying, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Jesus, as God, the creator, gives life, and he has authority to give life on earth. 
And so in giving life, he, he also has authority over death. As his followers, as followers of Jesus, we are rescued from sin, the sin that leads to death, and are given eternal life now. We are united with Jesus when we accept him as Lord and Savior of our lives. And then we ended by, sorry, I ended last week by highlighting that these four I am statements all have to do with Jesus being life. Jesus is our source of life. He is the one who, who brings life to us. This is one of the most important things that Jesus tried to communicate when he was here on earth. And John begins his gospel by saying this very thing. He says in, in John chapter 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Through Jesus, everything was made, John says. He is life. He is the source of life. John also says, he, and the life was the light of men. Jesus is the truth and the life, and the truth illuminates the darkness. In Psalm 119, verse 105, the psalmist says, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is the word and the truth and the light. And so this morning, we continue with another of Jesus's I am statements when he says, I am the light. He says, let me read this. It says, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So what exactly is Jesus talking about? This is during the, the Feast of the Tabernacles. Um, he proclaims this during the Feast of the Tabernacles. And the Feast of the Tabernacles was a seven-day celebration of God's provision for his people. And the Jewish people would spend seven days camping out in mini tabernacles or booths they would make out of palm, palm leaves and branches. And, and God actually instructs Israel to do this in Leviticus 23 as a reminder of how they had lived in tents when they escaped Egypt and, and how, they, how he had provided for them and led them to the promised land. While they were in the desert, God had provided for the Israelites in several ways. One of those ways was providing water. And on the third day of the feast, water was drawn from the pool of Siloam. And then in a ceremony, it was poured on the altar of the temple. Jesus uses this ceremony and this theme to point to truth about himself. He says in John chapter 7, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. This is brilliant because Jesus is using this theme of the festival, this theme of God's provision, specifically here on the third day of this festival where Israel remembers God's provision of water in the desert. And he uses this to show more about who he is and to call people to believe in and follow him. 
There's a second theme from the festival that Jesus also makes use of, and it has to do with light. This is where he proclaims, I am the light of the world. On the last night of the festival was a ceremony where giant lamps were placed in the temple courtyard, and, and, and they were lit, and people gathered to dance and sing praises to God all night. This is the last night of the festival. It kind of looked something like this. And this was to remember that God had led Israel out of the wilderness, or sorry, he had led them in the wilderness and out of the wilderness as a pillow, pillar of cloud during the day and as a pillar of fire at night. And Jesus again uses this theme to reveal more about himself. He says in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life. So like the cloud of fire that led Israel through the wilderness, Jesus leads his followers by illuminating and opening our eyes to God and to the truth. If we walk with Jesus, we don't remain in darkness, meaning we're not stuck in sin and ignorance anymore. We're shown the path out of that. Salvation is through Jesus Christ. Jesus declares this again. He says, I am the light again in the next chapter. And it's still the feast of the tabernacle. And as he's walking, he sees a blind man. And Jesus' disciples ask him in chapter, or sorry, verse 2 of chapter 9. They say, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then Jesus backs up this claim by healing this man, healing this blind man. He brings him out of physical darkness into light. This is, this is an amazing miracle in more ways than one because not only does he give this man physical sight, he also in an instant gives the man the ability to make sense of what he's seeing. You see, he was born blind. And today there's technology that can help people, that can restore the sight of people who are visually impaired, some people who are visually impaired or blind. Um, but these people still need to pro learn how to process that information. Um, it takes years of therapy for these people to be able to understand what they're seeing, what this new information is. And so Jesus not only gives this man born blind sight, he gives them, him the ability to understand what he's seeing in an instant. It's a, it's a double miracle. He does two things at once. And when we look at all of the miracles that Jesus performs throughout his ministry, giving sight to the blind was actually Jesus' most common miracle. We don't see this in John, as John's actually just chosen to highlight seven of Jesus' miracles. But throughout the other Gospels, this is Jesus' most common miracle. And, and one of the reasons for this is that blindness was actually much more prevalent in Jesus' day than it is today. And, and one of the reasons for that is that the, the conditions were just much more unsanitary. 
especially in water. And that would increase the risk of blindness and other ailments. And so this is one of the reasons that Jesus heals more blind people than anyone else. There's, there's just more of them. It's more prevalent. But this isn't the main reason that he heals so many blind people. Because healing the blind was something that scripture actually foretold the Messiah would do. Near the end of his life, John the Baptist was imprisoned. And as he sat in that dark dungeon, he began to question if Jesus truly was the Messiah. And so he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him. And his disciples say to, to Jesus, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. These were all things that were prophesied of the Messiah in the scriptures. And one of these passages in Isaiah chapter 42 says, I am the Lord, I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, who, those who sit in darkness. Obviously, Jesus came not just to give physical sight to the physically blind, but also to give sight to those who had become blind to the things of God. And we see back in chapter 19, Jesus give light to something that even his disciples had not clearly seen or, or clearly understood. Let me read that passage again. Rabbi, who sinned that this man or his parents that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. The common belief in that day was that sickness and death were the result of personal sin. And while this is sometimes the case, I believe the majority of the time it's not. Let me explain. In Jesus' day, and in Jesus' day, the rabbis taught that it was always the case. That they taught that a child could even sin in the womb causing death or sickness, or parents could sin, if parents would sin would lead to someone like this man being born blind. This is what they were teaching. And, and it breaks my heart that this kind of thinking still persists in the church, that people who are sick or who are going through a hard time are called out because uh, of, of their lack of faith or, or because they're being sinful. And yes, that is sometimes the case, I'm not saying it's not, but I believe that it's not the majority of the time. The majority of the time we suffer because we live in a world of suffering. And we live in a world of suffering because mankind has chosen sin over God. We see at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis that death entered the world because of sin. We have sickness and death because of original sin. and. Our bodies are dying, right? Not because of a lack of faith 
or personal sin, but because of original sin. Although there are times when personal sin does bring sickness or death, again, I'm not denying that. I, I believe it's, it's usually the minority, not the majority of the time. The rabbis in Jesus's day were teaching that sickness and death always came from personal sin. And Jesus throws this entire system of thought away when he says in verse three, let me highlight it. It was not this, this it was not this man's, sorry, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. And this gives us an entirely different outlook on suffering. And we could spend the, the entire time here, but I'll just firstly say I'd like to revisit this topic in the near future. And secondly, God is more interested in our character than our comfort. Let that sink in because we often view suffering as punishment. It can be, but it can also be God allowing something painful in our lives to bring about change. And remember, we looked at, at that two Sundays ago. Jesus says that the Father is the vine dresser. He's actively cutting things out of our lives. He's pruning things in our lives so that we can grow, so that we can become better people. Jesus heals this man who was born blind, but he's, he's opening the eyes of everyone there, including the disciples, to the truth, to the things of God. And so he heals this man, but he goes about it in a very interesting way. He spits on the ground, and then he makes mud out of this spit and dirt, and he anoints this man's eyes with it. And then he tells the man to go and wash off this mud on that Jesus has put on his eyes. There are previous miracles where Jesus just speaks and, and the person is healed. So why would he choose to do it this way? Well, he is the light of the world, right? He's giving light to the things of God. And so he's helping people see the truth. When he heals this man, it's on the Sabbath. And one of the 39 categories of work not to be done on the Sabbath was to make mud or clay. These, cat these, cat these are categories of rules that are added on to God's command to t take a rest on the Sabbath. Jesus disregards these teachings of the rabbis. This was an oral tradition. At this time, it wasn't written down. A century later, they wrote it down. But at this time, it was just oral teaching. And Jesus disregards this or oral teaching and he's, he later says that the Sabbath is, is for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the Sabbath is a benefit for us. It's not a burden for us. The leaders and the teachers in Israel had made it a burden. And so Jesus illuminates this truth. He is the light of the world. In John 12, verse 46, Jesus says, I, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. He is the light, not, not just to illuminate the truth, but to bring us out of darkness by rescuing us from sin and from death. In one of John's letters to the church, John says in 1 John chapter, chapter 1, 
This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And we're, we're about to see that the Jewish leaders claim to know the truth and yet they are more blind than that blind man was before Jesus healed him. Jesus makes his next two I am statements, one after the other, and they, they come in the context of all of this. They come in the context of what has just happened, the healing of this blind man. And the Jewish leaders, the Jewish leaders call this healed blind man in for questioning, and they don't believe that Jesus has come from God, and so they, they start to question this man, and, and they come at him already in disbelief. They don't want to believe. It doesn't matter what this former blind man says. They, they can't accept who Jesus is or where he's come from. And their interrogation ends with the healed blind man saying this. He says in John chapter 9, verse 30, why? This is an amazing thing. This is the blind man speaking. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. So not only has this man's physical eyes been opened, his eyes have been opened to the truth of God, to, to see and to understand spiritual things. Jesus is the light of the world. And the, the Pharisees are furious, of course, and they answer him in verse 34. They say to him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us? And they cast him out, meaning they cast him out of the synagogue. He could not return. Verse 35, Jesus seeks him out. It says, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and having found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, and, and, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. What is Jesus saying? He's not saying that he has come to condemn the world and that it's time for judgment. No, that will come at the end of the world. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that he has come firstly to save the world, but in doing that, in proclaiming the truth of God, just like the prophets did, Jesus brings division. And his words divide people. His words bring division. Because when people hear his teaching, they either believe what he says or they don't. There's no in-between with Jesus. That's often why he makes such dramatic statements like, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. He's making these statements because he wants division. He wants to divide those who believe from those who don't. And now, he doesn't always expect a, an immediate decision it took time for people like Nicodemus to really think deeply about who Jesus 
was or is and what Jesus had said to him for him to believe. It took time. But he did believe. We see at the end of the Gospel of John that Nicodemus is involved in Jesus' burial. And that action would mean that he had publicly taken a stand to follow Jesus. But again, why would Jesus want division? Why would he say things that cause division? And it's because he wants, again, he wants to separate people who have ears to hear from those who don't have ears to hear. But not for his own sake. We read in John chapter 6, it says, Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. Jesus isn't trying to see who really believes and who doesn't for his own sake. He already knows who believes and who doesn't. He's saying these things for their sake. He's saying he's testing these people for their own sake so that they will make a decision because he doesn't want people sitting on the fence. He wants people to make a decision. Are you with me or are you against me? He doesn't want followers who are kind of with him. He wants people to make a decision. And so Jesus' words judge people. They cause people to make a decision. He says, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Jesus is dividing those who accept and trust him with those who reject and disregard him. And then we see the reaction of the Pharisees. They overhear this. It says in verse 40, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say you see, sorry, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. So what does this have to do with Jesus's next two I am statements? Well, in chapter 10, Jesus continues to teach these Pharisees and the, and the crowd that has gathered there. And as he often does, he uses metaphor to teach. Remember, a lot of times he's using metaphor as a device to test people. Are they willing to think more deeply about what he's saying? Or do they just disregard him and write him off? I'll just summarize the beginning of chapter 10. Jesus is describing a typical shepherding scene. Let me show you guys a picture. Um, a shepherd enters the gate of a walled enclosure. And it seems here that there's more than one flock in the sheep pen. And so the shepherd calls his sheep, and the sheep that are his hear his voice and recognize him and follow him. The sheep will not follow a stranger, Jesus says. They actually run away from the stranger. And Jesus says that the shepherd has entered the pen by the gate. But anyone who does not enter the pen by the gate but tries another way like climbing over the wall. I don't think it'd be very hard to climb over a wall like that, right? Um, anyone who does not enter by the gate but climbs over the wall or enters another way, Jesus says, is a thief and a robber. In verse 6, it says, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Remember, he's been speaking to the, to the Pharisees, and he's still speaking to them here. And he's actually proving how blind they are. They don't understand what he's talking about. 
Those who do not enter by the door are thieves and robbers, he says. And then Jesus says in verse 7, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out of and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. So what is Jesus saying? And wait a minute, if we don't understand this right away, are we spiritually blind as well? Um, well, no, we, we just need to look at the context and to think about it uh, a little bit. And there are other parts of scripture that actually cast light on this as well. And, and to be honest with you guys, with all of the tools and the resources that are available to you, um, you don't really need me to be preaching this morning. I trust that each one of you could figure this out on your own um, with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, of course. I guess the, the, the difference is that I've spent 20 hours studying and researching and meditating on these texts um, to be able to stand up here and present them to you guys this morning. And, and I'm excited to have the privilege to do this every week. I still, it's still hard for me to believe that I get paid to study the Word of God and to, to teach it. But I want you to realize that there's no need to be overwhelmed by the Word of God. Um, yes, sometimes we need to wrestle with it. We need to chew on it. We need to meditate on it. And we need to check out different commentators and see what they say. And we need to compare what we're reading with other passages of Scripture. But it's possible to understand the Bible. I think sometimes what, Christ, what keeps Christians from reading their Bibles is that they feel overwhelmed. And I certainly felt that way when I was younger. And I know I'm taking a rabbit trail, but I think it's worth taking a minute to talk about. One of my favorite apps, I don't know if you guys have heard of this, is called the Olive Tree Bible. And you can compare a commentator on the bottom with the scripture. It's, it's awesome that you can do that. And there's a lot of free um, commentaries as well, like Matthew Henry's commentator, commentary, sorry, and the... Um, the Bible knowledge commentary is a great one. But if you're, if you're curious, you can t come talk to me after. There's so many great resources um, to look at, to be able to use, to understand the Bible. I'm stalling because I lost my place. <laughs> Where are we? All right, so rabbit trail done. Let me read uh, a few more verses for you guys. Let me read this again. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Remember, Jesus says that whoever enters by the, whoever doesn't enter by the gate is a thief and a robber. If Jesus is the gate, then anyone trying to present themselves as a shepherd to the flock, 
who hasn't entered the gate is not a shepherd. They are a thief and a robber is what Jesus says. And a thief and a robber is not interested in taking care of the sheep. They're interested in stealing from them, right? That's what thieves and robbers do. They're interested in getting something for themselves, in benefiting themselves somehow. Jesus is describing the Jewish leaders here. They're, they're not in the positions they're in to care for the people of Israel. They're in those positions because they are highly regarded positions. They're Israel's leaders. They're the highest on the chain. And, and they're in it for themselves. And Jesus is pointing them out, that out. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And then he, he pronounces his next I am statement. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is, is the shepherd, the good one, because he cares about the sheep. And he's, he cares about them so much, he's willing to lay down his life for them. Are the Jewish leaders willing to die for Israel? No. And Jesus explains why they're not willing to die. He says, he who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is calling the Jewish leaders hired hands. That's pretty insulting. But it's true for most of them. As far as we know, there are not that many Jewish leaders who become followers of Jesus. Let me back up a little bit. Jesus says that he is the gate, the door. Back in verse 2, Jesus says, He who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. True leaders, shepherds of God's flock, can only lead because they've entered by the door. They've trusted and put their faith in Jesus. Did the Jewish leaders trust and put their faith in Jesus? No. We see that from their interrogation of the blind man, right? They refused to believe. In fact, they were looking for a reason not to believe. That's why they question the blind man and then they question his parents. Then they call him back and question him again. They can't believe and they won't believe. Last week we looked at um, some some of the other I am statements that Jesus makes, I am the way, the truth, and the life was one of them. And I am the door is very similar to that statement. Um, Jesus is the path to salvation and life. And Jesus is the good shepherd. He's come to take care of the sheep, to not only offer salvation, but to offer life. Really, all of these I am statements, here, here are all seven, all of them have to do with life because that's what Jesus came to do. He came to provide life. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and he provides life to his sheep. In verse 10, he says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. If you guys have a Bible or a Bible app in front of you, I'd like you to turn to Psalm 23. And I want, I want to show you something. Jesus is using the analogy of the shepherd and the sheep. And everybody he's, he's talking to knows the relationship of a shepherd and a sheep. This is a very common 
thing because shepherding is a common thing in this time, right? And, and throughout the Old Testament, this analogy is used to describe how, G, how God cares for his people. Psalm 23, this is the abundant life that Jesus is talking about here in Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is abundant life. This is what Jesus is talking about. You see, all these things that Jesus declares about himself, sorry, are about him coming to earth to give us life. All of these things to save us from darkness. He didn't just come to save us from sin and death. He came to give us life, abundant life, he says. Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, you are, you are all of these things. You are all of these seven things that we went through these last two weeks. And I just pray right now that each of us here would understand, would truly understand and see these things in their own walk with you, how these things that you've said about yourself are true. I pray that you would open our eyes to how good you are to us, Jesus, so that we can overflow with, with thankfulness and be even more encouraged and strengthened to go and proclaim what you have done in our lives. We thank you for who you are and for what you've done. We praise you and we thank you in your name. Amen.